Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. Good evening, everybody. We welcome you with open arms to this week's edition of The Front Row. Tom Block and Keith Jones with you as per usual. This is the normal length front row. You get 60 minutes of us. But if you truly have no life, you might have spent about 150 minutes listening to Keith and I babble on yesterday during FSU's Pro Day. Two and a half hours of coverage. And we'll begin there talking about uh, all the festivities and the hoopla, which was not nearly the hoopla of a year ago. I'm still tired, though. It's an interesting two and a half hours. And by it's interesting, the, it's the worst thing we do broadcast wise. Yeah, we're going to say this now that it aired yesterday, although I'm sure there's, you know, you can, you can catch fa- it. It's, you can find really- it on Watch ESPN, no question. And hopefully you will have forgotten this before next year's Pro Day when Dalvin Cook likely will be involved. And, and, and hopefully and we get invited go, to do it again. Yes, hopefully. Uh, maybe not after these comments. But uh, if you missed the two and a half hours, because because you're perhaps gainfully employed and, and or chose not life. to yes uh, or whatever this is what it, it this is what it sounded like Keith there's there's Nile he weighs 314 pounds and they have him running 40 yards in a consecutive straight line as fast as he can why would they do this why is this important to his next stop because it's only tradition this has no bearing on whether he can or can't play any given position on the field. Because at no time during a football game do you run 40 yards in one direction. That's not exactly how you put it yesterday uh, in the broadcast. Now they have some cones out, and it's a three-cone drill. What are we trying to glean from this? Uh, uh, Hip flexibility, change of direction, balance, and do you look fluid and crisp? Yes, we're making light of this because it is not exactly the most exciting uh, two and a half hours. But you mentioned the word fluid, and we'll begin there because – when you get to the position drills, oh my gosh! You talk about a guy looking fluid. Jalen Ramsey is an athlete, and he does not look. Uh, nothing looks to tax him when he's out there going through these drills. He looked very fluid. He, he has not become jello. He is still a liquid. <laughs> he is very fluid. Yes. All right. We're going to talk in greater detail with Tim Linnefelt, uh, our Seminoles dot com insider, next segment about some of the takeaways he had. Uh, he was actually in the indoor practice facility. Keith and I were in our remote, secure, protected ESPN3 fancy studio while we broadcast this. Behind the golden microphone. Exactly. But, no, seriously, uh, it is interesting to see, and it, it is a uh, it's a process. It's a well-oiled machine now as Florida State goes through this annual pro day. But I want to I talk a little bit greater length about Jalen Ramsey because we've talked about this previously. There's speculation – I don't know what percent it would be, maybe 25% chance at this point that he could be the top overall pick. This was a big week if you're the Tennessee Titans because the other one of the other guys they're considering, Laramie Tunsil, the tackle from Ole Miss, had his pro day on Monday. Jalen had his pro day yesterday, and in attendance was the general manager, the head coach, the defensive coordinator, and two or three other. Yeah, there were, I believe I counted six representatives from of the, the Tennessee. Titans. So, they're doing their due diligence. Doesn't mean they're going to take Jalen, but I guess as a starting point, we've asked this before, I'll ask you again, is Jalen going to go number one overall? The dumb answer is I don't know, but the more I see the attention uh, that he's being given and the more I physically watch him do the things that a pro does, i.e. the drills. Well, we saw him at the Combine up in Indianapolis. Uh, he did not run the 40, but he, as you mentioned, he did the position drills yesterday uh, in the IPO, uh, in IPF. rather. Uh, the more I look at him, the more I, I see him interact with, with the, the NFL crowd, the more I listen to him talk about the process, um, the more excited I get that, that maybe that 25% is itching up to 28 to 30 to 33%, um, simply because just like Jameis last year, he's doing everything right. He's done nothing wrong, and and that's got to be worth something in people's eyes as well. Well, and he doesn't have the uh, the microscopes on him the way uh, Jameis did a year ago. Because that also is true. That is correct. I, I'm going to tell you why he's not going to go first overall, and it's purely because of conventional thinking of the NFL. And the conventional thinking is you take – the left tackle and you protect your quarterback and that's 
not sound reasoning in my mind, but it's safe reasoning. It's the same reason that when it's fourth and six inches at decent field position, teams still punt in the NFL. And when the Patriots go for it and kind of defy the odds, the statistical folks would tell you that that actually is a better decision. But it's just conventional thinking is there's only been one DB in the history of the draft taken first overall, so we're not going to be the second team to do it. We're going to do the more we're going to go the established route, and we're going to take a tackle, which lots of teams have done. So even if it doesn't pan out, at least we've done what lots of teams have done. All right, uh, are you, that's you're going to stay with that position, or are you just? I'm being not saying that would be my position. I'm just saying I think at the end of the day they're going to get in a room, all the Titan brass, and no matter how compelling a case they make for Jalen Ramsey, they're going to fall back on that. Now maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they'll think outside the box. The unfortunate part, the counter to that, I read this somewhere, so uh, I have not fact checked it. Uh, but uh, I read somewhere, heard somewhere, of the last ten tackles taken in the first or second pick, seven of them were a bust. Yeah, I don't know if the number seven, but it is. It's in the Tennessean newspaper today. Has a story that basically. How, where is it? I'm sorry. What what paper you said? The, the Tennessean, which would be in Nashville, where oh, where, where well. Jalen is from and where the Titans reside. Who on the first? How coincidental! No, the, the premise of the article is why taking an offensive tackle first overall is a risky pick but you could say that about any pick pick quarterbacks why taking this quarterback is risky why taking a db is risky yeah the the unfortunate part that we've come to understand because of the way the salary scale is now is whoever you take in the first pick is expected to start 16 games as a rookie and 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 make the all pro team well and that and so the expectation is off the chart. From that standpoint, part of this article today, again in the Tennessean, goes into the fact that the way college offenses have changed over the last few years, it's a lot harder to project an offensive lineman, specifically a tackle, to the NFL because they're not doing the same thing. So from an immediate impact standpoint, you can make a very compelling case for Jalen Ramsey. But I was going to say, from the, to the degree that all of the college offenses have now become run and shoot, and 70, 80% of the time they're passing, that makes a DB from the college game a much better commodity than 30 years ago when it was 70% running and everybody played cover two. Right. Of course, the flip side would be if you're the Titans, you've got a quarterback who can run. So maybe your offense is suited to what this guy did in college. I mean, you can go back and forth on it, and these are the discussions they're going to have. You also have – I don't want to say character concerns because I'm not aware of any with Jalen Ramsey, and I don't know Tunsil enough to know if there's character concerns there. Flipping it the other way, I would say uh, Jalen Ramsey to me is an an alpha dog. He's a known And he he can be a face of your franchise. Now, you have Mariota if you're Tennessee, but if you need a defensive face or a guy that's going to be a spokesperson and a guy that's going to be a leader on the field, uh, this was probably, not probably, but was part of the issue for Florida State a couple years ago when you had some upperclassmen who had – sort of cashed in their chips and knew they were going to go to the NFL. Then you had Jalen Ramsey trying to lead, and, and, and not everybody was on the same page. But and Ramsey could be that guy. I still wonder, and I and again, I'm not a general manager, and I've not spent time looking at you know salaries and, and cap space and all this stuff, but there's still got to be a small percentage possibility that some really good team that's picking 25th or 28th or 30th that has – all the pieces on the defensive side save they need a corner. If they could get a corner and put with the other 10 they've already got, that elevates them. I still believe there might be a chance that somebody trades down to get him. I think it's a you small – trades up to get trades him. up to get him. I'm sorry, trades up to get him. Small probability, I understand, but that is also a dynamic that I'll enjoy watching and seeing if it happens. I think the call, the price is too high to trade up. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, there's obviously there's a chance. Well, if he's there, the, the if he's there at four, if he's there at four or number five, that's not too far. Well, but I don't know that he'll yeah, be potentially. Then. And I think if you're anybody outside of the Titans and maybe the Browns, because they're going to draft another quarterback, probably. Unfortunately. So if you're three through the rest of the first round and Ramsey is there, oh gosh, you're licking your chops, saying this is a no-brainer, unless you absolutely have no need. But, I mean, uh, the Jaguars are at five. They would take him. He's not going to go to nine where the Bucks are. I mean, there's plenty of teams that would that would take him. There's people that are out there saying the Cowboys should take I think if he got there, all those teams would take him. To me, it's more, well, the Browns need a quarterback, and that's one position Jalen doesn't play despite his versatility. <laughs> and then you go back to where I started with the Titans, which is I, I, 
again, so if all things are equal, you line up the grades and however they're doing it, and you've got A-plus next to Tunsil and A-plus next to Ramsey, where do you go back to? You go back to, well, this is kind of what historically teams do, so we're just going to err on the side of uh, not being risky, and we'll go with the tackle. And then there's Al Davis. Well, so Roberto Aguayo <laughs> will be the first pick overall is what you're saying. I don't know. I'd love to see it. I think for Florida State, for Jimbo, for uh, for the sake of the 2013 uh, national title team and how it's looked at uh, years from now in terms of being historically great, having Ramsey go first overall in a year after Winston went first overall, uh, that, that'd be pretty nice. That'd be a pretty nice feather in Florida State's cap. I would agree. All right, so all Keith and I have confirmed once again is that we don't know the we answer no to clue. it. The draft comes up about a month from now in Chicago. Uh, Jalen did say yesterday uh, on our broadcast, actually, that while he hasn't made a decision, it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing, and he probably would Pretty be in Chicago thing. for the draft. And I think that that's a safe bet. If I was going to go in the top five of the draft, uh, well, I might just invite my family with me there. I was going to say, he also probably hasn't been contacted by the NFL because I would really think the NFL would like for him to be there. Yeah, I would think so, too. All right, we'll come back, talk more about this, not so much about Jalen, but about some of the other prospects uh, that auditioned for the NFL yesterday when Tim Linnefelt joins us in our next segment as we are just getting cranked up here on the front row. Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones only on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on the front row. Thanks for tuning in this Wednesday. As always, Tom and Keith with you, and we're joined now by our Seminoles.com insider. Tim Linnefelt, and obviously this week and uh, today in particular, you've got lots of uh, facts and figures from FSU's annual Pro Day. Seminoles.com is your source for all Seminole sports and the uh, witty, keen insight of one Tim Linnefelt. So, Tim, Jalen Ramsey was the story yesterday, and we'll obviously talk about that. Anything else or what else comes to mind first in terms of what uh, impressed you or made an impression yesterday? I thought that uh, I probably shouldn't be surprised, but I was still impressed and a little surprised by the the crowd that Roberto Aguayo drew. I, I know he's the top kicking prospect in this year's draft, and uh, probably the top kicking prospect in several years. But even still, watching all the the NFL scouts and executives and a couple of the head coaches gather around uh, and watch him kick field goals and watch him do kickoffs, both in the indoor practice facility and then watching all those guys migrate out to uh, the outdoor practice fields was uh, was pretty impressive. In fact, uh, there was there was one moment where they were kind of running through end game situations and setting Roberto up as though he were to kick the game winner. And, uh, and Mike Tomlin uh, from the Steelers runes out on the field and, and, and calls timeout like it's the end of the game to see if he can try to rattle them. Well, then he's just messing with them a little bit, too, just sort of joking with them. Uh, and, uh, and Roberto just laughed and, you know, kicked it square through the uprights like he does. So uh, a pretty impressive showing for him. Um, I thought that uh, Niall Lawrence, Sample, Georgia, Newberry, and JV and Elliott, we'll see what, uh, what the future holds for those guys. But I thought they did about as much as they could ask themselves to do uh, at Pro Day, especially Niall, who was invited to the NFL Combine but wasn't able to participate uh, because he was hurt. This was the first time that he was really able to show what he could do in front of some of those NFL guys. And you know, we've known this about Niall, but but uh, you know you, you don't get often often get to see him run 40 yards in a straight line. And man, when a, when a guy that size uh, gets going uh, running at you, you uh, you want to get out of his way. <laughs> no question. Hey, quick on Aguayo. Uh, I didn't see this yesterday, and Keith and I were doing the, the television or the ESPN3 coverage. Did anybody actually keep stats on, on how many kicks he made and that sort of thing? I never saw final numbers on that. I that- don't think so. I, I didn't get any final numbers. I'm sure the weird deal at Pro Day is like there's not really any official stats. Everybody's sort of keeping them for themselves, like they're calling out numbers uh, you know, on the, over the PA or what have you. I know he missed maybe three or four, had one go off the upright. But uh, I don't think it was anything to dissuade uh, any of the people that were looking at him. I know Jimbo Fisher afterward told uh, told us that uh, one of the, the NFL people said it was the most impressive kicking workout that he had seen in quite a long time. So I, I think he did everything he needed to do. The guy that I thought did himself a tremendous favor is uh, the the walk on uh, Javian, mm-hmm. uh, who I he, by my count by what we received ran a four four one. 
Yeah. Uh, that will turn some heads. I know he's got a knock on his size. He's short and small and all that kind of stuff. But uh, there's a kid that was completely off the radar that I don't, I'm not suggesting he'll get drafted, but I thir- certainly think somebody will invite him to camp and give him a look. I agree, especially with that type of speed. And, you know, I, I wonder if teams might be drawn to, to his story a little bit. Because, you know, when you hear about a, a player who was a walk-on for several years and then earns a scholarship as a senior and then plays a, a really significant role uh, in his last season, I mean, those are the kind of traits that you want in a, in a football player, right? Somebody who's willing to persevere, somebody who's willing to work for what he gets and, and not be entitled. So, and, and with, with that type of speed, you know, would it surprise me if he was able to, you know, at least get a chance in the training camp and maybe get an opportunity on special teams? Uh, no, of course not. And then, you know, we'll see. Obviously, the NFL is the goal, but would it surprise anybody if, if he were able to catch on and be really successful, whether it be in, you know, in the Canadian League or the Arena League, something like that? Uh, I, I do think that he has a, a future in, in some degree of professional football if he wants. I think he showed very well. And, and to echo your comment, or maybe to ramp it up one additional notch. I thought Newberry uh, did himself a whale of a service. I, I think his size and his athleticism, uh, because he, he hasn't really found the place that he fits, he doesn't have the big stats, there's not a great body of work. Uh, he's been on both sides of the ball. Just in terms of them looking at him and, and evaluating him as an athlete, uh, I'm, I'm, I've got no question that somebody's going to take a chance on him. No, yeah, I, I was saying to somebody yesterday, I can't remember another player who's sort of gone from, from zero to 60, so to speak, in such a short period of time. I mean, you know, this time a year ago, we were wondering whether he even had a role to play on the team just because nobody knew where he was going to go. Interior lineman, tight end, defensive end, what's he going to do? And, and as a fifth-year senior, if you if you don't even have a, a clear-cut position, it's hard to, to make many projections for you. But he comes out and, and had a, a really, really nice, senior season, even if his statistics don't necessarily show it, he was very disruptive in his hands in the air, slaps in the pocket, that sort of thing. And now all of a sudden, you know, he's going to the NFL Combine, he's starring at Pro Day, and it's like, man, where did this come from? I really can't think of anybody who's had a 12 months uh, quite like Georgia Newberry. And yeah, he's another guy. You can bet as big as he is and as fast as he has turned out to be, uh, somebody's going to find out about him and, and take a chance on him. So I'm curious, let's play a little game then, because in terms of how many guys or which guys are going to get drafted, because FSU set the three-year mark with 29 over a three-year period. The four-year mark, I think, is USC at 37, and FSU just doesn't have many guys out there to get eight more picks. But that said, I won't waste your time. Jalen Ramsey's going to get drafted. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Okay, so Roberto is going to get drafted. you agree, Tim? I believe he will, although I'm I'm a little fuzzier on that than a lot of people are. Not because of anything with him, it's just I think kickers and specials are just so 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 unpredictable. Uh, and I sort of you know three we look at you know Graham Gano and Dustin Hopkins, who are both exceptional kickers, and it took them how long to both of them how long to catch on in the NFL? It's just it's just weird. It's not like other positions. That said, I do think with the new point after uh, rules and the new kickoff rules. That that boosts Roberto's uh, stock enough that he he will get drafted. Okay, so that's two Seminoles. That's Ta- a long way to get to get to that answer, right there. Yeah, Terrence Smith. Yes or no? Yeah, I think so. Yes, Keith. Nile. Keith, yeah, that was a yes for you. On yep. So we're yep. three. Okay, Nile. I think so, but I think other people disagree with me. Okay, I don't. I think he'll get drafted. So that's four. Giorgio, based on the conversation we just had, it's a fringe, man. Ah. Uh, so we'll leave it at four since there's some. Between Nile and Giorgio, we think one of the two, maybe. So we're at four now. Yeah. Uh, LaMarcus Brutus? I don't think so. Nope. I hope so, but I don't think so. Case and Beatty? I don't think so. Any of the other guys, uh, let's see, Derek Mitchell, Tyler Hunter, JV and Elliott? Uh, I don't think so. Reggie Northrup won. Reggie Northrup. Maybe has a chance, too. So, I was going to say, I don't know which, but my guess would have been five. Okay, that, so, so we I think we're going to get to five picks. Yeah, and and I don't mean to say that I don't that, that none of those guys will get drafted, but I, and you know it's, it's sort of like uh, they all have a certain percentage, I guess, and, and you know one of them maybe could, but I don't think that all of them will, kind of thing. Well, not that Florida State, uh, I guess they could claim credit if it happened, even though he didn't work out yesterday. What about Everett Golson? Is he a seventh <laughs> round pick anywhere, or is he a CFL or bust given his height? Uh, I I don't know that he he would get drafted. Um, for, for one, I, I think that you just see uh, the size issues, the size limitations. He it does not look like an NFL quarterback. And then, you know, with everything that, that's gone on, whether it be here at Notre Dame in the last couple of years, I think there's probably some red flags with him 
All right, so Jimbo's only going to get five guys drafted this year. The slacker that he is, I guess he's going to have to turn up the recruiting to get those numbers back up and make another run. One well, guy, we were, go ahead. We were sort of laughing about it, you know. Uh, for it's funny to say that uh, that it was a, a quieter pro day when you know the head coach of the Titans and head coach of the Steelers and a bunch of defensive assistants are there. But compared to uh, the circus that was last year with uh, with James Winston and all those guys, it did feel a little different. But then you started thinking and then looking ahead, you're like, man. Uh, next year's going to be pretty big too. When you think of some of the guys that, that they'll have coming out or, or could have coming out. Well, well, in a down a year, in a down year, you still have thirty of the thirty-two clubs represented. Right, right. Well, you know why and it was I, different than last year? It wasn't Winston. It was the fact that nobody brought brooms out and had them uh, as part of the drills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. But they did have the ball the on the stick. I don't remember the ball on the stick last year. I, did they do a, that? I didn't even see that. Well, let's. Uh, I'm, I'm going to tie the, tie this thing up here. Any any final observations or things you wanted to share or that you wrote about or interesting comments that you took away from yesterday's festivities, Tim, before I move on? Uh, well, yeah, it's just kind of a thought, and, and I wonder, the, the Titans had so many people here, and they were at Ole Miss the day before, and it seems like they've kind of zeroed in either on Laramie Tunstall or, or Jalen Ramsey, and, and those are really good choices. And I just wonder, it would be really, really cool for, for Jalen to go number one and, and a huge feather in Florida State's cap uh, if it were to get back-to-back number one picks. That doesn't happen very often. It hasn't happened since 1969. I'm sure you guys have seen that trivia. Um, do you know Do you know who those two picks were, Keith? One was O.J. Simpson. That was. The other, and the, guy, the other was not. The other was not. There you go. It was Ron Yeri, I believe, was his, uh, was his name. I looked that up the other day. But, uh, but anyway, a, a I, I, lineman, I, think it's a, I think it's a long shot still for, for Jalen to be picked number one, uh, mainly because Tennessee needs offensive linemen. They just drafted uh, a quarterback so high last year, but if there's anybody who could buck that trend and go number one, I think it's Jalen, and I think it'd be. I'm really interested to see how that plays out and sort of how the the coverage leading up to the draft and who will be the number one pick, uh, how how it sort of uh, frames that narrative over the next month or so because it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, and this will be a footnote that'll be written years down the line. Uh, but you know, when you talk about the all-time great collections of college football talent. You know, Florida State from 2013, fans and, and uh, media want to put FSU in that discussion, and probably rightly so. So if 10 years from now you're looking back and you had back-to-back number one picks and yeah. the most accurate kicker in the history of college football, along with all those other guys like Delvin Smith and Kelvin Benjamin and the running backs, blah, 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 uh, yeah. you could probably make a pretty good case and stack them up against the 0102 Canes, which seemed to be the standard bearer in that conversation. Absolutely. Well, and I don't, I don't, I don't know off the top of my head if either of those USC teams won national titles. I don't know if OJ ever won one, but having – Two number one picks on the same national title team have to uh, have to count for something in those those tiebreaker best of all time discussions. Well, yeah, that so, every position uh, stat that you pulled yesterday, yeah, well, is last, quite phenomenal. Yeah, as well. last year they had a player drafted at every offensive position, which is yeah, remarkable. Yeah. Um, all right, well, one guy that's not going to get drafted this year is Dwayne Bacon. So there's a segue for you. And look at, uh, look at my boy Tommy. Yeah. So I guess. Uh, First of all, everybody associated with Florida State is pleased that he's coming back, especially in light of Beasley moving on. I'm curious, why a week ago did he say he's going to test the waters and a week later say he's not going to? Uh, to me, even if you knew that you were going to come back, why not test the waters and go through a practice job interview, if you will, uh, and why now make the decision to just stay in? I was curious about that, too, and, and, and I asked about it, and he said, and, and you know what, Malik Beasley actually said something really similar. Uh, but they see it from the different sides of the, of the same coin, if you will. And, and Dwayne said, look, if you do that, it's almost kind of like you're – if you're going to declare for the NBA draft, you, you want to go all in. You want to go for the process. You want to have an agent advocating for you, and you want to be in devoting your full-time energy and resources to getting ready for the draft. Whereas if you do the deal where you declare but you don't sign with an agent, now you still have to go to class. You still have to do uh, handle all your responsibilities as a student, and then you kind of – you know basically keep the same workout regimen you did um, as, a, as, a student, as a student athlete. And so I think he was saying, if, if, if I'm not going to do this 100% and go all the way in, I'd rather not do it. Now, Malik Beasley said the same thing because he was asked, you know, why would you not just declare and, and leave yourself the option? And he said the same thing. He's like, well, look, if I'm going to do this, I, I want to fully commit to it. So I think that was probably the biggest thing was, was guys thinking that if, if you're going to go, go. But having your, your, you know, foot on, your two feet on either side of the border – uh, probably doesn't look good, and and you know I wonder it's, it's such a new rule, but I wonder if if NFL teams will look at that differently too, uh, with a kid that, that you know isn't sure what he wants to do, and if that will kind of have an impact on the way they evaluate. Well, we'll hold that thought because we'll come back to it. But two comments related to to Bacon and Beasley. 
uh, number one, uh, from everything I'm now hearing, Beasley didn't have the option of coming back. Uh, he had made the decision relative to things he was and wasn't doing, and our listeners can read between the lines any way they want to, uh, about halfway through the year. Uh, so I don't think Malik has the option of coming back. Secondly, I believe personally, being around Dwayne as much as I am, is is he probably had a conversation with his parents, and, and this is one of the things I hate, I absolutely hate about social media, is he had a conversation with his parents, he t- thought about what it was going to be like to be a pro, and he sends out a tweet. And while he's probably had preliminary conversations with Coach Ham and with Stan Jones and, and whoever else represents his uh, counsel, uh, it wasn't until the day or two after that that he actually sat down and had what I would consider face-to-face hard discussions about what that means and as what you're speaking to, what he's got to do to get ready just for that combine. And, and as a result of that, once those conversations took place, he appropriately reconsidered and said, I'm not going. Uh, that's my take on those two people. Nobody asked me, but I'm telling you anyway. <laughs> I, I think you're definitely accurate, especially when it comes to Dwayne Aiken. It was funny talking to him yesterday. It was almost as though like, he didn't even, hadn't even declared like the way he was talking about it. Um, well, based on what I heard in an interview, he sounded relieved. Yeah, I mean yeah, it's like I a burden off his shoulder. He really didn't want to do it. Right, right, and and I think that you know he. Uh, I asked him. He he hadn't filed any of the paperwork. He hadn't talked to you know anybody uh, really about the process. I think, it, like you said, it almost just sort of came off like a a daydreaming uh, type of type of thought, and said, you know what, I, I will do that because there's no drawback to it. And then you investigate and you find out that you know maybe there is. Uh, some sort of a drawback to it, potentially a drawback to it. And, and like I said, he, outside of sending a tweet and, and telling people that's what he intended to do, he really hadn't taken any of the steps to actually do that. So uh, definitely a unique situation. I, I, I wonder how that dynamic will play out across the country with these new rules uh, and players sort of you know wondering what, what they should and shouldn't do. But uh, that's just an interesting little case study and, and certainly one that has, has worked out well uh, for Florida State with Dwayne Bacon deciding to return. And it leads to my next comment, which my, my partner Tom Block is actually the uh, the author, uh, in my mind, of this concept is why the middle. why can't the why can't the why can't NFL kids that are looking uh, excuse me, college kids that are looking at the NFL, why can't they avail themselves of a combine, have some conversations with them, get evaluated and then have the opportunity, as long as they haven't signed with an agent, to come back for another year. Oh, I think it's a great idea, and I think it's something that uh, that probably will come sometime or another uh, in our lifetimes, you would hope. Now, it's something you're going to have to figure out with the, the college coaches, right? Because they, they, don't, they like the idea of getting their guys back, but they don't like the idea of having uncertainty on their roster. And, you know, like, let's say that, that Dwayne had followed through with this decision and, and gone through the combine and all that. Uh, you know, you don't, I don't think you have to make a decision on that until I want to say the end of May. So now, you know, Leonard Hamilton is waiting two months wondering whether, whether will he or won't he have his leading score, uh, next year and, and how, how best do you. Well, he can just go talk to the baseball coaches that have been dealing with that for the decades now. <laughs> well, they'd rather not have to deal with it either, would they? Well, I'm no, just saying. That's a fair point. The baseball coaches can serve as counsel to the new coaches. I was saying, I think the baseball coaches would rather adopt the uh, adopt the other model rather than the other way around. As per usual, we don't have enough time to solve the problems, but we're very good at identifying them. <laughs> yes, we've certainly done that. Hey, Tim, uh, good insight as, as always. Uh, we need to wrap up this segment for now, but Keith and I will pontificate some more about that. Thanks for uh, joining Let us me know as what always. You come up with. Yeah, we'll 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 let you know. Obviously, we're taking full credit for it if we get a solution. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks. All right, if we don't get a solution, we're just leaving the blame with you. We'll come back, react to that conversation. He's Keith, I'm Tom. This is The Front Row. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. Back on The Front Row once more, I shall remind you that 
portion of each week's program is brought your way courtesy of the fine folks at Madison Social. Every Tuesday night is trivia night. We speak often about the great brunch and the weather being as excellent as it is uh, typically in the spring. Last weekend notwithstanding, I'm just going to go ahead and say that uh, last Saturday and Sunday was not the ideal time to go to the brunch doors at Madison were Social. Not up, yeah, yeah, I the suspect. barn, the barn, the garage doors were not up. But uh, generally speaking, this is a pretty good time of year to go. Uh, I also happen to see on social media that uh, the the latest pint glass, I'm not sure how many he's got in the collection now, like 186, I think. There's one coming out in honor of uh, Mark Ziegler, who is uh, faculty over at uh, Florida State, and it's to help raise some funds uh, in his name, or now a professorship, I think, in his name. So good good stuff there, as always, from Madison Social. They are as good as I have ever seen and uh, as it relates to social media and promotions. They, 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 they know that stuff. That's sort of a backhanded compliment, isn't it? Have you seen social media? Do you know what social media is? Tommy, <laughs> don't go down that road. Okay. Anyway, you guys get the message. Uh, they support us. We're encouraging you guys to support them, the fine folks at, uh, at Madison Social. All right, I won't go down that uh, road. We will go down this road. We talked uh, uh, to Tim Linnefelt about uh, Dwayne Bacon and sundry other things. We did not talk about XRM. So right now we know Malik Beasley is gone. Dwayne Bacon is back. What's the future for Florida State basketball and XRM, and are they connected? Uh, I think they are connected. There would be some that would hope that they weren't, and there's plenty of discussions, depending on who you talk to, that uh, you know there, there are some issues, some personality issues. Uh, I think the, the best thing, and I've, I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about this, but the best thing that could happen to this 16-17 basketball team is for X to go back to the shooting guard and let the freshman coming in play point, if the freshman coming in is capable. I think that's where the, the source of tension comes from, is that because uh, X is having to learn the point position, and he, he has worked hard at it, but he's not there, that if you put him back at his more comfortable regular shooting guard position and get another person distributing the basketball that uh, some of the perceived and or actual tension that raises its head sometime in a competitive sport like basketball, team sport, uh, then uh, I think that lessens that. I don't think I don't think X uh, is well served to go professional right now, although I know there are plenty of folks that would like to encourage him to do that. I just don't think he's ready because he's been playing out of position. Is Benji Bell somebody who could handle that role? I'm not sure Benji could take over full-time. He certainly uh, showed flashes last year along with Devin Booker. Uh, but I think it would just serve better if a, a, a newcomer coming in, the, the freshman point guard they got coming in, whose name escapes me, I apologize, uh, can take over the majority of the time. That's a better solution than any other combination, in my opinion. Well, we'll see. At least the news is probably thus far what, what was was to be expected, except that I think if you polled people a month ago, they would have expected Beasley to return and Bacon to leave, and instead it goes the other way around. Uh, you know, we talked about this when you were at the ACC tournament, but I'm curious now as you reflect back, how was D.C. as a venue? And really what I'm asking is how was it not being in the state of North Carolina? Uh, I thought it was phenomenal. I, I think the, the, the folks and or the institutions – that raised the biggest voice about it not being in North Carolina are the ones that are in North Carolina. So you go to the Tobacco Road schools. I think when you talk to the Miamis, the Syracuses, the Louisvilles, the Florida States, uh, Washington's a great venue, and candidly, everyone is looking forward to the venue being in New York City. Uh, and I think at some point in time, uh, it might be a topic of discussion about whether it should remain in New York City. Uh, but that won't; those conversations won't happen. That implementation wouldn't happen until twenty two or twenty three, something like that. Yeah. Well, they they got to test the waters first, exactly. prove that it's a good thing. Even though uh, in the next couple of years they won't be at Madison Square Garden, they'll still be in New York. So it'll be. I was just curious; we hadn't followed up on that. So I, I had a great time, and I think everyone who attended uh, really enjoyed it. It was a great; it's a great facility. Had been there before, obviously. Uh, the ACC does a wonderful job running the tournament. And uh, I think given the fact that you had, uh, what, seven, seven teams into the tournament, uh, six of them making it to the uh, Sweet 16, you got two of them in the Final Four, uh, all that in combination with being in the nation's capital made that tournament a very interesting and a very compelling uh, watch. The 
ACC success in the NCAA tournament, I'm wondering how much this is going to be the norm from here on out. I mean, last year they put five teams in the Sweet 16. This year they put six in, and that's in a year in which Louisville self-imposed and didn't even enter the postseason tournament. And, you know, on the one hand, it's a surprise that it's Syracuse that somehow got hot and is in the Final Four. On the other hand, it just speaks to the depth of the ACC. I'm not suggesting they're going to have six every year, but it seems to me that it's really going to become more of an oddity that you in a year when you only have two advanced this week. What 16. I worry more about, and, and I don't know how the committee works, so this is an ignorant layperson worry, is in those years when you do have six or seven or eight ACC teams in the tournament, does the committee start scheduling them in the first or second round? So that mathematically, that number can't get to Sweet 16 or Elite Well, that eight. would be a change from the way they do it now because now they don't pit conference. Whenever possible, they don't put conference foes head-to-head uh, early in the tournament. So that would be a departure from – that would be a direct change uh, to yeah. get more equity into the Sweet 16. That's, if they went down a, that's that the only thing I worry about, and maybe it's a very silly worry. They would never do it, but that that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Yeah, it's uh, it's been interesting. Certainly the ACC uh, has had a good march, and and we'll see how it uh, shakes out. We'll talk more about the Final Four, in fact, uh, in, in just a little while here on the front row. But you can't argue with the uh, the success thus far. Uh, maybe you wouldn't have picked uh, Syracuse, as I said, to be the team that's there with uh, North Carolina. About about the fact that Ver- – Frankly, you wouldn't have. You would have picked Virginia. but Theoretically, Syracuse is the Cinderella of the Final Four. Right, that that just can't as the, be as the ten seed. That yeah. just can't be. Yeah, and by the way, the first, there's nothing the first, Cinderella about the Syracuse basketball no, program. The first ten seed, I believe, ever to make the final four. Right. There's been some elevens or twelves, but this is the first time technically a ten seed is there. Well, uh, at it, least it's, it's it's just interesting. It leads to another question. We'll 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 get into this, and it's about Virginia uh, and their failure to advance uh, this year because th- this seemed to be the time to do it, and clearly with 12 minutes to go in the game or whatever it was, they had Syracuse down for the count and somehow didn't finish. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that in our next segment as we continue right here on the front row. Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979espnradio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. Welcome back to the front row. We'll get to spring football practice uh, momentarily because we haven't talked about that yet. And obviously, the uh, spring game comes up. Ten days from now, basically. And, and, uh, and guess what we'll be doing for the spring game? Broadcasting it. How about that? Yeah, exactly. It's uh, the return of primetime Knowles, sans Paul Kennedy. And during daylight hours. And during daylight hours, <laughs> yeah. So it's not primetime. It is the Knowles. But uh, that'll be the ESPN3 broadcast coming up. Uh, looking forward to that, by Very the way. Very much so. Very much so. Last time we did that, the, uh, the first uh, pass Jameis Winston threw in the spring game went 50 yards past LaMarcus Joyner for a touchdown to a walk-on receiver. And that I cannot even tell you think, who it was. Things worked out pretty well. Well, I remember I remember distinctly. We were in Campbell, and, and as you say, we were doing that game, and it was like the second offensive series. Jameis wasn't the first. Right. Uh, the gold had the ball, and he was on the Garnet team or vice versa. And I remember him throwing that ball, and I remember looking at it in the air, and I remember it being caught, and I remember LaMarcus stumbling. And I remember looking at you, and you were already looking at me. And we both, I'm sure, had that expression of like, have we just seen what we think we just saw? Well, and then that expression stayed on our face uh, later as as pass after pass exactly. continued to be like that. Exactly. David Tyrell was who caught that, by the way. That's the answer to the, ah, the trivia question. Very well done, Mr. Block. That's, that's the answer to the trivia question. Years from now, after Jameis has finished throwing you know, 500 TD passes or 400 at the next level, Tyrell, first one. Wow. I want to go back to basketball, and then we'll go back to spring practice. I mentioned Virginia's situation. So on the one hand, you do have a – Syracuse is the Cinderella. It's March Madness. They call it that for a reason. Anything can happen. Virginia got a lot of praise after the game for how classy they were in handling a bitter defeat. And 
as they should. They handled it in very classy fashion. Really what I'm driving at is, is, is Virginia too nice to turn the corner and get to the Final Four? Uh, I mean, do they need a little bit of a mean, not quite as classy to get there? Because he's had the teams that could be there. And if I'm a Cavalier fan right now, I'm thinking – now, I didn't have this thought when Florida State beat Virginia early in January. I thought, well, that Virginia team's not as good as what it was the last year or two. As the season went on, though, it got to that same level, and all the parts were clicking. And you have a lead, and in fairness, it was it was dinner time at the Block household, family time. I turned off the TV with Virginia up about 15. We had dinner. I turned it on with as Syracuse hits the bucket to take the lead. So I did not watch them employ the press and all this happened. But my general thought is, what in the world happened there? Well, there's a couple of three ways you can look at it. You can say a toughness. Uh, you can say an aggressiveness. Or you can say a killer instinct. Uh, I don't go for the first two with them. I think it's the third one. I don't think they're too nice. I just don't think they have that killer instinct, That that instinct where – it's 12 minutes. We're up by 15. We need to push this to 20. Uh, now, in keeping with that, I did hear one of the commentators uh, make the comparison about what happened to Virginia, which I had never considered, uh, and the analogy spoke to me. Uh, it's like when you're driving down the road at 70 miles an hour on the interstate, and your your car or your truck is holding the ground and everything, and then all of a sudden you need to get to the hospital in a hurry. Uh, you've got a legitimate medical emergency. So you take that vehicle up to 90 miles an hour, and it is all over the road. It's shaking. It's shimming. I mean, it, it's good at 70. It's not good at 90. That incremental increase gets it out of its comfort level, so to speak, or what it was designed to do. When Syracuse went to that press and they forced Virginia to go up-tempo, they got completely out of their game. So I would say it's it's two things. Number one, give credit to, to the analogy about the car, which wasn't mine. And the second part is that killer instinct. I, I'm not talking about being dirty or being mean or being aggressive or being hungry, but knowing that when you've got an opponent down, you've got to finish them. That's what I think that Virginia program doesn't have just yet. So let me make a parallel, and it's not going to be exact, but if you think about Florida State football pre-2013, uh, 2012 specifically, which is not a season that people here look back on fondly, even though the team went 12-2 and two and won a championship. Jimbo made a big deal about winning an ACC championship that year and the value of that and what it meant in terms of confidence and kind of being a brick you got to put in the foundation before you get to the next level. Now, Virginia has won a conference championship. They've got the bricks. but, but They need that next brick. Yeah, it seems to me they've hit that, whereas Florida State took that next step on the football side, Virginia wasn't able to take, at least not yet, take that next step on the basketball side. I don't know that that's an exact, uh, it's sort of an apples and oranges, but it is related a little bit. And again, I go back to, you know, is it hunger? Is it aggressiveness? No. For me, in my vernacular, the way I explain it, it's the lack of a killer instinct. Well, and clearly at the end, it was lack of a sense of urgency, which speaks to how they play. And all of a sudden, uh, guys, there's 40 seconds left in the game and you're down two possessions. You might want to shoot before there's five seconds left on the shot clock, but that's just me. All right, I was just curious on it. Who's going to win the Final Four? And then we'll get on to... uh, I want Carolina to win it, but I I did not have the opportunity to watch Oklahoma during the year. Uh, and the more I watch this Oklahoma team, and the more I pay attention to them, Tommy, you got four kids I believe on this Oklahoma team that have played a hundred and five games together. That's unheard of in today's uh, college uh, basketball arena. Um, I'm pulling for Carolina. Uh, but it won't surprise me if it's Oklahoma. I don't think it's Syracuse. And, and well, while Villanova the, is very good, I just don't I don't have a case for Villanova. Yeah, either. I could see Oklahoma, North Carolina. I would agree, and I'll pull for Carolina. And those were the two conferences that were viewed as the top two conferences. And for the ACC to truly get that check in the box, we need North Carolina to, to go ahead and win it. A quick Lon Kruger story since you mentioned Oklahoma. This was when he was coach of the Gators. There's really not an end point to this story, but I happen to – don't ask me why I was flying through Gainesville or out of Gainesville, but I was. I think the only time in my life. I got on a flight and Lon Kruger was seated next to me, and he proceeded to take off his shoes and just sit next to me, which was a little more than I needed. You know, he just got comfortable right there. Now, he, maybe it's perfectly plausible. I don't know. He spends a lot of time on planes. He doesn't care. I was like, okay, 
Go ahead. Like I said, there's not an end point to the story, but I do remember that. Did he undo his belt and his trousers? No, no, too, no, there, no. There was nothing like that. <laughs> I just was like, I'm sitting right next to you. You're a foot away. I don't need to be staring at your feet and smelling your feet here. That was kind of my take on it. I don't know. Do you normally take your shoes off on a plane? I do not take my shoes off on a plane. Tom Lang, do you? No, so this is a little out of what. Do the you norm- take your shoes off on a plane? No, but ever since Lon did it, I thought, well, if the, if the coach can do it, I can do it, right? Well, so now you want to be a basketball no, coach? No, no, I don't. I just it sticks in my mind. Twenty five years later, whenever he was coaching Florida, so I thought I'd bring it up. Let's get the spring football because there's really no point in continuing that, that part of the conversation. <laughs> uh, you know, now that we're deeper into spring practice, a couple things have happened as we've gone through scrimmages. It appears that uh, Francois has moved to the front of the quarterback line. I don't know by how much. Um, so we'll start there. Well, unlike years past, other than Jameis, uh, when uh, Coach Fisher's talked about nobody has elevated themselves. They've all gotten better, but the, the water rising, all the boats go up. It appears that Francois has, has elevated himself a little bit. Uh, the second thing that I'm hearing is that while he can't catch Francois, Malik has hold, held his own. So they, they've been pleased with what Malik has done is just how far he's had to come in order to learn the system and everything. But Francois is elevating himself, and they're pleased in seeing someone do that. So what you're saying is that one guy is better than the other, not one guy is not as bad as the other. Correct. That? Okay. That would be a very fair way to say it. Okay. Well, good. Well, that, that's a good situation for Florida State. If it holds. If, if it holds. Yeah. You know, we'll get a good, good look at that a week from Saturday down uh, at the spring game in Orlando, which, by the way, uh, hats off to the to the Citrus Bowl folks or whatever their official name is. Forgive me. Uh, you know, by everything we're seeing, hearing, uh, feedback I'm getting, it's going to be a pretty grand time in Orlando um, well, and on that, Saturday. Yeah, and a big part of that goes to FSU, too, and athletics that also, marketing and what they're also. doing. They're basically taking the block party that's normally on Clayman Plaza, and they're putting it right on I drive in Orlando on Friday night before the game. So it'll be a bit, it'll be a good weekend uh, for us next weekend down in Orlando. Another thing that uh, I noticed, so Rick Leonard switched positions, moved over to the offensive side of the ball. Jimbo has always thought that uh, that's where he ultimately would end up. Uh, Rick was comfortable enough to move, but now after being on the second team for a little while, we saw news this week that he was running with the first team. Well, he was, he was with he the a- second team. He was with the second team, and then they also ran him some at guard and at center, which is one of the things that, that Jimbo – uh, you know, and, and Trickett like to do. They like for their guys to get, at least get used to being in that position so they have an appreciation for what that position is requiring. But he's a right tackle, and he's a he's probably a perfect fit for right tackle. Yes, no answer. Will he be in the starting five on the offensive yes. line this fall? Yes. Okay. So he stays healthy. I believe he will. Then expound on, does that speak more to his talent or more to issues with personnel that are currently there? I think it does speak to issues with personnel, but I go about 70-30 his talent because he's been asked to move in the past, and he said no is what I was told. Now, I don't know if that's factual, but that's what I was told because I asked the question. Uh, only Jimbo could, could factually answer that for us. And one of the things that Jimbo does is he will go to players and say, I think you would be better suited here, but if the player says, I don't want to move, He'll respect that. He doesn't make them move. Right. And my understanding, I could be completely off base here based on who I've talked with, that he was asked a time, maybe two, to come back over to to come over to the offensive side and said I he said I didn't want to do that. This time for whatever reason, whatever time it was, he said yes and, and he's he's just a good fit for it. And uh, I mean he's got the frame, he's got the footwork. He, he's got an innate ability with his hands. He uses his hands so very well that, yeah, I think he's a starter uh, come Ole Miss. Last uh, quick thought. Anything else jump out at you from uh, spring football thus far? No injuries uh, of significance. Now, a lot of kids have been held out, but you're not hearing a lot of injuries. Uh, I know Mark, uh, Marquise White broke his hand. Um, let me tell you how the game's different in 2016 versus uh, 1979. Uh, I broke my hand the third day of two-a-days, which, by the way, it's fall camp. These guys don't go through two-a-days because they only have five days of dual sessions. We had 12 days of dual sessions, okay? I broke my hand the third day in the morning. I went to Tallahassee Orthopedic Clinic and was fitted for a cast. There was no discussion of surgery. I was in full pads practicing on Thursday morning, okay? 
Tough guy. What? No, that it wasn't me. It was anybody. You can put anybody. Phil, put anybody's name in there. That's how different it is now. I'm not saying it's worse. I'm not saying it's better. I'm just saying it's different. And, and White it, is really the only one of significance that I've heard of, unless I've missed something that had something of, of significance, and it was just a hand that 30 years ago would have not kept anybody out of doing anything. But in his defense, at least a, a fracture shows up on an X-ray compared to a sore hamstring, which might linger and keep you out of spring practice for several days, you know, and you want to ride the bike instead of go at it in practice. Well, then uh, we had a term for that, by the way, both in spring, when it came to the spring game, and obviously during the regular season. You know, those are the type of injuries that you just turn around and it's it's inexplicable. You can't understand how the kid got well so quick. It was a it was a MR, a miraculous recovery. <laughs> All right, we'll finish up the show after this uh and Keith will tell more stories about how in his day he had to walk uphill both ways in the snow without full pads twice daily to get to practice right after this on the front row. You're listening to The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. Welcome back. Don't forget to frequent the Flying Bear family-owned and operated restaurant on uh, in Tallahassee's north side of town. 6265 Old Water Oak Road. They're open Sunday to Thursday, 11 to 9, Friday and Saturday, 11 to 10. Good place if you're out uh, that way or live out that way. Go ahead and stop by the Flying Bear. Keith, as usual, uh, we don't have uh, too much time to finish up. So what problems would you like to identify and or solve in the remaining 60 seconds or so? Well, hats off to, to Coach Sue and her basketball team, um, uh, consecutive uh, Sweet 16s. Uh, ran up against a, just a buzzsaw in Baylor. I get that. Uh, but uh, loses two kids, I believe. Has a great recruiting class coming in. No reason to think that's not any better. Uh, you know, a little bit disappointed last night in the, the result of the baseball game, but uh, you know, you out hit, uh, you, you out pitched, uh, you just came up short, runner thrown out at the plate, or it could have been maybe a three-three game at some point during the game. Uh, you know, it's just a, a busy time in sports and Florida State uh, all across the board, uh, showing some uh, success, having some success, and a uh, good time to be in town. All righty. He took up all the time. So all I can do is say uh, he's Keith. I'm Tom. We'll do it again. Lord willing, next Wednesday uh, right here. Thanks for joining us on the front row.